Welcome on into the Cougar Tracks podcast. I'm Mitch Harper, your BYU insider. It's the post-game drive. The Cougars take down Texas Tech 27-14. It's 10.49 p.m. in Provo, Utah. I'm exiting the West parking lot at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. There's a, there's a truck that's blocking me. Remember, I am doing this safe. I'm not... Uh, not disobeying any traffic laws or anything. I got my hands on the wheel. It's a handless, hands-free microphone clipped onto my shirt. And I'm just going to talk to you while I drive home from Provo to Murray, Utah to discuss the game. And just a note, any of the stats, if they're not exactly to the T, remember I'm not looking at anything I'm just driving and, and focusing on my drive home. With all that said, BYU improves to 5-2 and two on the season, 2-2 two and two in Big 12 play, and they take down the Red Raiders 27-14. I thought this was a good game for BYU. I was pleased with how the defense played. How can you not? Five takeaways. They played a very good football game. Need to improve still on third down. Texas Tech goes 9 of 18, 50% conversion rate. But they rattled the the true freshman quarterback for Texas Tech, Tyler Strong. They made his life a nightmare all night long. And it was impressive to see the defense playing like that. You know, and it's BYU. I said going into the year that this defense was going to be a group that would give up yards. They'd give up some points occasionally but they were going to make plays. Stars were going to emerge. Playmakers were going to emerge. And you saw an example of that on Saturday. It wasn't a perfect product by any means from what, how they played. But they do enough and they're impactful that they just capitalize on the opportunities when they're there. And no one embodies that more than Eddie Heckard. Cornerback, nickelback extraordinaire He was outstanding for BYU. He had the fumble recovery in the end zone to put BYU up 14-0. That fumble from Texas Tech had Jake Heaps-like vibes from 2011. That was according to Matt Biamonte, my co-host in the Press Bucks. And I can't disagree. It's right. And Heckard came up with an interception, too. I thought he was excellent. I also thought defensive end, who you always hear every single week on this show, Tyler Batty was outstanding. One of his best games. I still think the Arkansas game was maybe his best, but he has been great at home for BYU this year. He was really good once again. All over the place, punt team, defensive line, setting the edge. He almost got called for a targeting. They had to review it. But then they deemed it not a targeting, which that I thought that was the right call. It, it didn't appear to be a targeting, but it just seems so rare nowadays when the handkerchief comes out, the, the, the laundry, the yellow laundry comes out for a targeting. They never seem to overrule it anymore. But Batty stayed in the game, and that was a big thing for BYU. As You know, with the loss of Michael Daly this week, him going to the transfer portal last week, the defensive end depth's a little bit thinner. And had you lost Batty for the second half, that would have been a big deal losing him. So 
keeping him on the field I thought was important, and he had a big game. It was interesting, too. I asked him in the post game about the spitting incident because in the first half, a Texas Tech tight end spit on Tyler Batty, and the refs called it and said, for spitting, personal foul, he got ejected, and Batty was livid, as you, I mean, anyone would. If a grown man spit on you, you'd lose your mind. Like, I would, it's just such a classless move on so many fronts. But to make things crazier, I asked Batty about that whole sequence of the spitting. He said in the second half, near the end of the game, another Texas Tech player, their offensive lineman, spit on him too. Unbelievable. Texas Tech has a ton of talent. A ton of talent. And Joey McGuire is a football coach that knows how to accumulate a ton of talent. Like, you can see the raw athleticism and talent in Texas Tech. But they are horrendous at being disciplined and taking care of the football. And just all the the winning plays, as Sonny Dykes said a few weeks back, Texas Tech don't do that. And I understand they have a third string, true freshman quarterback. They were not expecting him at any point to play this year when they had two quarterbacks in Baron Morton and Tyler Shuck, who they felt are NFL quarterbacks. They didn't expect this guy to play at any point this year. But they lack any sort of discipline. And Texas Tech might bottom out the rest of the way. I don't know where they win a game now, especially after UCF gave Oklahoma a scare. Because I thought Texas Tech for sure would beat UCF. I don't know so much now. Welcome to the Big 12. I mean, this league is just a gauntlet where there's no horrible team. There's no horrible Northwestern-type team team in this conference. And that's what I think makes it pretty dang good and, and a tough out every single week. But BYU benefited from that a lot because one of the downsides to this game for BYU... The offense sputtered in the second half. Kind of inexcusable, to be honest. And there was a stretch for about, you know, four out of five drives. They went three and out. And it looked like it was going to be five out of six until Aiden Robbins converts a third and 13, a conservative play call on the ground, and he picks it up. BYU's offense lacks the ability to just put the foot on the gas and stomp someone and hammer it away and get a win. 27-14, solid. It probably should have been 40-14. to feel like you should have put up a 40-piece in this game. They blew it. Same goes for the Cincinnati game, too, a couple weeks back. Last month in, in the previous home game. BYU's got to get better at that. But but one thing I will say, too, is that it tonight was a step in the right direction from showing that you got the ability to beat a fellow Power 5 team by double digits. And that might seem insignificant, but think back to the history of BYU football. Playing Power 5 teams, it was pretty much toss-up football, where you were not winning by 10 or more. That's been a growth that you've seen in recent years under Kalani Satake. It still hasn't happened much. I'll have to go back and look in the archives of how many times it's happened in, say, the last 50 years at BYU. But off the top of my head, there's not many instances 
where BYU's smoking a Power 5 team. Like, there was UCLA in 08, 59 zip. You know, Arizona State in 2021, they won by, I think, 9, 26 to 17. But there's not many instances of that. And it's, again, it's kind of underrated, but I just feel like that's a step in the growth, in the evolution of planting yourself firmly into the Big 12. And it's also noteworthy, too, they're the they're, they're, they're a newcomer that second newcomer to get a win over one of the legacy programs in the league. But they didn't need some epic heroics at the end to do it. Houston last week took down West Virginia, but they needed a Hail Mary to get it done. BYU just, you know, soundly beat Texas Tech. Now, Texas Tech had some self-inflicted wounds, but BYU capitalized. And I thought BYU's trenches were a lot better today. Credit the offensive line. Daryl Funk's taking some heat. And the offensive line's taking some heat. They stepped up today. Texas Tech's got athletes, especially off those edge rushers and that defensive tackle. That's probably where their top NFL draft prospects are on this team. And they were insignificant in this game. You know, they got some hits on Slovis. And I got to say, it looked like for a moment, Slovis was kind of nursing that left hand. Another example of Slovis just taking shots and getting back up and fighting through it. Dude's tough. I, I came away with that thought against TCU. I thought it again tonight. He's tough. This offensive line was tough, too. And I thought Kingsley Suamatia had one of his best games of the season. He was very good and showed you and reminded people that when he's on, he can be a day one first-round NFL talent, and he can be one of the all-time greats in BYU history. Kingsley's just a freak, man. He, he is a special, unique talent. And I just feel, too, this offensive line just fits so much better with the pieces that they have and the places they're in. I don't feel like it's a coincidence that you've seen an uptick in the production on the ground and just the overall offense from the offensive line with having Connor Pay at center, Paul Miley at guard, Waylon Lapuaho at guard, Braden Kime, they all stepped up. I, I thought they did a really good job. Also stepping up, despite the offensive struggles in the second half, Aiden Robbins. What a welcome addition for BYU to have Aiden Robbins back. I think Cougar fans were probably feeling like the media was blowing smoke up their skirts about this Aiden Robbins guy because... He struggled so mightily in those first two games, and then he was off the grid because of the, the rib injury. He is a special football player when he's healthy. And I thought that third and 13 was a sign of his talent and the physicality he runs with. I love the pairing of L.J. Martin and Aiden Robbins as a one-two punch. I don't really worry about who's the starter going forward. I still think it's L.J. Martin. But into the game, Aiden Robbins closed it out. I just like the dynamics. They're a little bit different running backs between the two of them. And it comes at the perfect time getting Aiden Robbins back because you just naturally expect that L.J. Martin's going to hit you know, a, a freshman wall at, at some point. It's going to happen. And maybe it already happened last week at TCU. Maybe he's already moved past that. But he had a 90-plus yard performance, and Aiden had 16 carries, 46 yards. But the impact in those yards, I felt, was, was significant. 
And I think it was something that you can build on going forward. When I asked Aiden in the postgame about if this was a confidence builder, he kind of downplayed that because he felt that, you know, he's always stayed confident. He's, he's a heck of a ball carrier, a thousand-yard rusher at UNLV, and I agree with him. It's not that he needs belief in his abilities. It was just, hey, the confidence of coming back from the injury and producing at a high level and making a key play when you need it the most. Because against Sam Houston and SUU, he couldn't do it. So I thought that was a step in the right direction. And, and Texas Tech is not a good rush defense. So how much would this carry over to future games? We'll see. But I just think BYU needed the, the proof of concept that they can get it done against an inferior rush defense, and they can still perform. 150 yards is still kind of light. You'd like a little bit more. You'd like to get to that 175, hover around 200, because BYU's darn near automatic to win games at that threshold. But still, it was a, a solid showing from that. I, I think from the from the ground, they, they did a step in the right direction. Passing attack... Not much to write home about, other than the Darius Lasseter one-handed grab, which was spectacular. That catch in the first half by Lasseter truly is an all-timer. And look, for those of you that know me, I don't get into the moment when it comes to BYU football. I have a deep, deep reverence and knowledge of the history of BYU football. I know it inside and out. There's not many catches that I've seen in my life and in the 80s and the 70s where they're out doing that. I mean, that, that was just a heck of a grab. And then it, it made it even sweeter how the drive ends with a Darius Lasseter touchdown grab for four yards to, to cap off the drive. But that was a spectacular grab. Lasseter, to me, has exceeded my expectations of what I thought he could be in this offense. I thought it was just kind of a... You know, a, probably a possession receiver. And maybe that was the thought for him coming in, maybe from coaches. Who knows? But I think he's a little bit more than that. And, you know, there, there's been games where he's been, you know, shut down and, and not had much success. But uh, I, I thought that that was a, a very nice performance from him. And he can have games where he's the best receiver. It was a night, too, where Chase Roberts was pretty much non-existent. Chase didn't start in the game. He only had two catches for nine yards. His first snap was the touchdown grab on third down, third and goal in the first quarter. But it, it didn't seem like we, we saw much of Chase. I asked Kalani in the postgame. He said that Chase played a lot was his words. I, I just don't recall seeing him as much as to, to define a lot. But I'll have to go back and watch the game and, and kind of get a, a, an estimate of, of the exact snap count. But... I think Chase, you know, to, to have that sort of outing from another guy was important. But I, I just felt like BYU's offense was just sputtering in that second half. And, and they did enough to get it done and, and close it down. But you'd like to see it taken care of in the early in the fourth quarter instead of giving Texas Tech a window of hope. They had a little bit. I mean, there was, there was a, it was a crease. But there was an opening for Texas Tech to really insert themselves back into the football game. And BYU allowed that because the offense was just was just brutal. And the good thing is, though, for BYU is they took care of the football. Say what you will about Keenan Slovis, it was not a good game for him. It wasn't. He had some poorly thrown.
balls. Felt like, again, there was some miscommunication on some routes. But I thought that he took care of the ball. There was one throw where it was a near INT. If he takes care of the rock, BYU's going to win. Because I feel confident to this point with Jay Hill defenses, he's going to get you two takeaways. I mean, even against TCU, they got one that was kind of impactful with Eddie Heckard in that first half. The second one with Cialia Serra was game was out of sight and out of mind. But they're going to get a they're going to get a takeaway or two. So if if you do your part as the QB and take care of that rock, you're going to be on the plus side of the turnover margin, and you're going to win ball games. Because BYU's takeaways are big time plays. So. How about Ryan Rico, too? Ryan Rico, I think we've got to have a conversation about him. He's the best punter in BYU football history. Right? I feel like he is the best punter in the history of the program. Last week's game against TCU, he was not very good. He still had some booming kicks, but that was kind of an off day by his standards. Tonight, he was on. That punt where BYU's deep in their own territory, and he flips the field with what was like an 80-yard punt. Texas Tech had a decent return on it, but he is such a weapon how BYU can turn to him, and he flips that field. What a luxury. I kind of wonder, you know, what does the pipeline look like at punter his brother's in the program, Landon Rico. I expect big things from him in the future. But what a luxury to have Ryan Rico for BYU because as we've seen from this offense, they're going to sputter out in stretches. They'll look brilliant. On that opening drive, they looked unbeatable. But then there's going to be five or six drives where it's like, uh, you're, you're pulling out a stick and saying, hey, do something. Do something, please. Please. You know, I was watching, I got on this weird nostalgic kick. It popped up on my YouTube channel. YouTube feed suggested video. A Bobby Valentino slow down music video. My goodness. I saw it earlier this week and I'm thinking to myself, Billy's offense needs to stop slowing down. Just being this conservative slow down. I just want to get to know you. Bobby V. Whoa. What a what a banger that was. Anyway. Rico's a great luxury for BYU to have. I, I think he's the all-time best. He's better than Lee Johnson, the Thunderfoot. And again, I don't say those sort of things lightly because Thunderfoot was the man. He was a national champion. Dude had a you know dozen-year career in the NFL, 15 years maybe. I think Rico's the best, though. He is the best leg, and he's going to find a way to stick in the NFL. He's a heck of a punter. And he's an athlete, too. I mean, the dude's 6'6". He's huge. What a luxury for BYU to have that guy. Staying on special teams, too. What about Will Farron? Let's put some respect on that guy's name. He's done an excellent job for BYU. Kind of nondescript. Hasn't had many opportunities to kick field goals. But when he has and been turned to, he boomed those things on on Saturday night. Great job by Will Farron. That's a nice luxury, again, for BYU to say, hey, 41 yards out, we're going to Farron. 
You didn't have that last year with Oldroyd. His confidence was shot. Farron, you've got that luxury. And that's good because BYU, when the margins are, th- are thin like they are in these Big 12 games, you can't just be going for fourth down all the time. Texas Tech realized the, the blowback to that. Texas Tech, imagine if they would have went for it or just gone for a field goal or just, you know, played to kick instead of going for it on fourth. Maybe it was a different ball game. Margins are thin in these Big 12 games, and BYU can't be as aggressive, I think, on fourth down as in years past, or even earlier this year. So it's nice that it's emerged that Farron can be relied on. I still wonder what his leg is from maybe, you know, 45 and beyond. I don't know if he's got that sort of leg. I don't know. I haven't really seen that much. But 45 and in, I think he can make it. I think he can bury him and, and get points on the board. Going forward for BYU, they've just got to they got to clean things up offensively. They got to clean some things up defensively too. I think the defense is ahead of the offense still. I do. I think the safety position. It's remarkable what Jay Hill has done with that group. Remarkable. When you think about the transfer portal class and all the guys that they added, Crew Wakeley was probably the the least written about one out there. I think KSL Sports was the only one that really wrote about him when he committed. That dude was playing some ball. Him and Ethan Slade, I think, are your safeties moving forward. You know, you can still rotate in Raider to Mooney, and I like Raider. I think he's solid. I think Preston Rex is pretty solid. But I think Slade and Wakely are your dudes going forward, unless they get hurt. And they've been banged up. I mean, Slade's got a brace on his knee. Wakeley's been nicked up with the, he had the head injury, assumed head injury at uh, Arkansas. And then last week he got banged up against TCU. Those dudes balled out. You know, Slade came up with a pick. Wakeley should have had a pick. So I just like what they're providing. And you think about those dudes were not anywhere close. Nowhere close to the two deep entering fall camp. Nowhere. They were out of sight and out of mind. Scout team guys. And now they're starting in Big 12 games, and they're playing pretty well. Great job by Jay Hill getting that safety position unit ready, despite all the injury hits they've taken. You know, Talon Alfrey, he's been up in the booth with the defensive analyst, you know, watching the games and helping out those. I see him, you know, leaving the booth, heading down to the field after, after the games and going down the elevator. Who knows when he gets back? You know, Jay Hill's kind of... He thought it was TCU, thought it was maybe this week. Could it be Texas? Who knows? Either way, I think you still roll with Slade and Wakely. Keep riding the hot hand and keep moving forward with those guys. I also like what's happening at linebacker. Harrison Taggart's your starter in replace of Ben Bywater. But Cialia Sarah, backup freshman. You think about him and Taggart, two freshman linebackers in the middle. Those guys are making plays. Cialia Sarah had a tackle for loss on a third down gets a stop that's the sort of playmaking ability you want to see from a four-star recruit the flashes the moments that that you say okay once he gets a a game where he's got 55 snaps times that little sample size by you know whatever it looks like over 55 snaps that guy's gonna be highly productive 
I mean, he's getting just kind of this spot duty right now, and his name's coming up and making plays. You'd like to see that. I think his confidence is growing as he's continued to work his way back from the MCL injury he suffered in fall camp. John Nielsen got banged up in the first drive of the game. That's something to monitor going forward. It looked like he banged up his ankle, uh, the right side of his ankle. He was on the bike, never returned back to the game. That's going to be something to monitor because Nelson has had some good games for BYU. I, I thought he was very good against Cincinnati. One of the better performances of the season from him. Without him, that's that's a big blow if they don't have him next week against Texas. But I did think tonight, Atunaisa Mahe had hit one of maybe his best game of the season, perhaps. He was very impactful in the middle of the defensive line and drawn some double teams even. And I thought that was a testament to the way he was playing in the middle. So good, good showing from BYU's defensive line. I think you still want to see a little bit more from Zay Banya at, at the defensive end spot. I love what Batty's been bringing. But I want to see a little more from Zay. I want to see a, a little more uh, havoc, a little more pressure created from him. So I think that's something to kind of monitor going forward as well, too. It was big for BYU to have Camden Garrett back at cornerback. He is a critical piece for BYU's success. Watching him in pregame warmups, he was off to the side with General Guilford. They were kind of working on some, you know, movement drills to kind of see how that ankle was going to fare. And he was green line and good to go. And it was big. I mean, his presence allows BYU, just everyone to be at their typical positions in the secondary. Huge upgrade when you got Camden Garrett in the game. But the nice thing, too, though, is that they still had opportunities for Mori Bamba and other players to get some snaps in the game. You know, when you got that big of a lead, you got some actual game time for some of those younger guys. And that was a, a nice luxury for BYU to have. But a big win for the Cougars, 27-14. The Cougars get it done, 5-2. and two. And next week, the Texas Longhorns. The eyes of Texas are upon Austin for BYU. Man, that's going to be a good one. It's going to be fun. I mean, BYU is going to probably be, if I had to guess, probably 24-point eh, underdog. That sounds like a lot. I know it sounds a lot, especially after how Texas played against Houston, but I, I just get the sense that the prognosticators love the Longhorns, and they're not so high on BYU. So I bet BYU will be a huge underdog, but hey, you've got nothing to lose in that game. No one's expecting you to win. I'm not expecting you to win. It's not imperative to get it done for bowl eligibility. You did your part tonight getting one step closer to bowl eligibility, just go play and see what happens. Kind of like UCF, kind of like Houston tonight against Texas. Give it everything you got and see, let the chips fall as they may. And can you imagine if BYU pulled another upset against Texas? Oh my gosh. Texas would melt down. They would be livid, livid if they lost to BYU again. It's been nine years since Taysom Hill ran wild on him in Austin. Been 10 years since they beat him in Provo. It's going to be a fun week. Cannot wait for that. 
I'll be there in Austin. So any Cougar fans that are going to the game next week, let me know. Maybe we'll have to do some barbecue. I swear, every road game, just doing barbecue. Arkansas, Kansas, TCU, barbecue it up all year long. Big 12 living, baby. I love it. That'll do it for this edition of the Cougar Tracks podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. As I approach the 123rd South exit, getting closer to home, I'll talk to you next time here on the Cougar Tracks podcast, and it's powered by kslsports.com.